music box. Jiang Javeri joins me now. I don't actually think I need to give him a, a massive introduction now because I think you're all well acquainted with him. Good afternoon to you, Jiang. Afternoon, Sadia. Nice to be back with you again and nice to be back with all the listeners. Always lovely to have you here. And my goodness, what an amazing voice she has. Every every week you just surprise me with a new <laughs> artist and I think, oh, she's amazing. She sounds so good. And, and I was just saying that I've heard Sarah Vaughan and some of her tracks. I know them really well, but I didn't actually kind of cotton on that that's her name. Maybe we just listen to these things and not be aware of the names of people. Well, that happened to me for the longest time. Okay, well, good. I'm absolutely relieved then. So now she's sassy. She's the divine one. And I can see where the sassiness comes from. Tell me about her. Well, um, it was, uh, it's what she's one of those where, um, you know, the music critics would just go into superlatives. <laughs> Very unique voice, mm. um, a combination of, um, she, her voice was almost operatic. It was luscious, it was voluptuous, mm. it was just everything that you could have. One of the critics decide, uh, described her as one of the most wondrous voices of the 20th century. A 45 year old career. Um, and uh, four Grammys. Um, but, you know, then with some of these uh, artists, you don't measure them by the number of Grammys they win or the number of copy, millions mm. of copies mm -hmm. of songs that they sung. She was definitely not as commercially successful as some of the others that we have seen. But, you know, she made her mark and how. Mm, she was good. And was she another one who kind of started at a very early age? That's correct. Actually, she is uh, born on March the 27th, 1924 in Newark. Um, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and uh, father, well, they have music running in the family. Her father was a carpenter. He used to play guitar and piano. Her mother uh, used to sing in the church choir. Mm -hmm. So she was initiated into music. While she was seven, she had her piano and singing lessons, and and she they found herself uh, accompanying uh, uh, rehearsals in church on her piano and she really took to music at a very young age and it was great that she was encouraged into it. Mm -hmm. So when she heard records and the radio, she decided that she wanted to do a little bit of singing so illegally and surreptitiously. <laughs> right. She would go into nightclubs. I mean, she would listen to some of the bands there and then she'd go into nightclubs, started singing. In fact, you know, for a while she even sang at Newark Airport. Oh, right. And what kind of age was she there? Um, she was a high school dropout. She, she might have been about 16 or 17 by that time. Oh, right. Um, and uh, you imagine waiting for a flight yeah. and <laughs> listening what to a voice you know, like that. I wouldn't mind sitting there at Hong Kong airport waiting for a flight to listen to this and me. <laughs> How wonderful would that be? My goodness. But, at, uh, you know, you would, would have had to think that at that time people wouldn't know that this is going to be the Sarah Vaughan yeah. yeah, yeah. in a one fine day. But. Yes, but just imagine listening to that voice uh, at the airport. So, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, because uh, she was so into music and doing these things, uh, she dropped out of high school. She was a high school dropout um, and uh, started her career in earnest in 1942, where she started singing in um, clubs um, mm -hmm. uh, around New York City. In fact, 
uh, one of her first public appearances, she opened for Ella Fitzgerald at the uh, Apollo Theatre. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's, that's quite an honour, an honor, isn't it? I mean, yeah, like... Absolutely. But at that time, you know, this is one of the reasons why I chose um, Sarah Vaughan as uh-huh. one of my artists, because she's such a complete contrast to Ella Fitzgerald. Right. I mean, both of them more or less belong to the same genre, but the approach was completely different. So I was a little... Uh, actually, I was a bit... Uh, it's perplexed when um, they say that, oh, they called her the divine one, because I personally maintain that it was Ella who had the pristine divine voice. Some, you know, when she sang, you felt it was a voice from heaven. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sarah had this earthy voice, which was voluptuous and it mm. was sensual. And, you know, mm. I, I'd, I always say to my friends that this woman really made love to the microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you can hear it is very luscious. When you listen to it, you can just kind of fall into it. Oh, it? absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. you know. Um, so, um, and and that's why I wanted to sort of show this contrast uh-huh. um, between these two voices. Same song being sung by two different voices sometimes, and you'd see how um, different the approaches are, even though the lyrics and the composition are the same um, you get a completely different sense, and mm-hmm. both of them. You know, when people often ask me, you know, would you, how would you compare Sarah and Ella Fitzgerald? And um, you say, look, you know, uh, it's a bit like uh, I like pasta and I like pizza. Ask They're both me to unique. They're both unique, aren't they? And they, it depends on what your mood is for. Like, if you fancy that, then you go for that. If you, Correct. If you fancy pristine, go for the other. Correct. One. I think it's a false, it's 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 a false comparison, mm. uh, frankly, because mm. uh, artistically speaking, both of them are at uh, at the very peak. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're 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 at the top. So, in any case, you know, she started performing in uh, around clubs in New York uh, and. Uh, she uh, teamed up with a gentleman called Earl Hines and his band. And uh, his band members had the who's who. I mean, you're talking about people like Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie. Um, uh, and do um, uh, you remember Dizzy Gillespie? Have you come across this name? I, I'm afraid not. <laughs> so Diz- Dizzy... I'm, I'm... Does it he, sounds, uh, it's a name I'm familiar with, but I probably wouldn't know any more about him. D- Dizzy Gillespie was a jazz trump- trumpeter. Okay. And um, if you've ever seen photographs mm-hmm. of this um, uh, black guy playing a trumpet which was crooked. Okay. <laughs> there was something, some funny story about somebody having sat on it or something and it was bent out of shape and he okay. started playing that and it became his trademark. Oh, right, okay. And she had the company of such greats That's even fantastic. when she started out. I mean, there must be something. So um, she started off with uh, 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 Heinz's band and then uh, later uh, teamed up. Uh, uh, the band members then split and uh, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Billy Ecclestein who teamed up with uh, Dizzy and Charlie Parker, so she joined them for a while. And in 1944, she left the band to start a solo career. And it was in 1945 that she recorded her first single, um, Lover Man, with... Uh, uh, and Gillespie and Parker both were there on mm-hmm. the recording. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was around that, around that time that uh, a pianist by the name of John Malachi 
gave her this name, Sassy. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's how she he thought she. I mean, that, mm-hmm. you know, very succinctly encapsulated her yes. persona. Yes, I think so. I think so too. Absolutely. That's how that name stuck, mm-hmm. right? And she gets her first recording contract around forty-seven, and during that period, um, got uh, married to her first husband. Oh, again, one of those. Oh. Three of them, by the oh, way. Okay, well, she was sassy, remember? Oh yes, <laughs> but remember, I told you. I mean, you know, to know how uh, how much uh, how much store you leave with it. Anybody who would, uh, believes in a little bit of astrology would tell you that the, these creative types are blessed and cursed by Venus. Uh-huh. They're blessed by Venus because, and that's that shows up in their talent. Right. And they're cursed because they don't have a stable love life. Okay, so right. she obviously had three. Either they don't have a love life, or when they do have a love life, it's, it's rather turbulent, yes. and it could be a mess, and uh, they keep falling in and out of love with people. So I, I suppose it cuts both ways. Yeah, I, I wonder whether that is also possibly a kind of uh, an influencing factor in the passion of their music and the and the kind of pain in their words sometimes. You know, because when you go through something like that. It is a bit reflective in in your heart and your soul and your voice. I once asked my guru, uh-huh. um, uh, who was um, a legend in her own right, um, about this, saying that uh, isn't it true that the more pain or the more turbulence and the trials and tribulations that an artist go through, it kind of enhances the appeal of their music. Uh-huh. And she looked at me and she said, "Oh, that's nonsense." <laughs> okay. And I said, "How so?" And she said that, remember, you become a good musician or a good artist or a good painter or a good writer by mastering your craft. By ignoring other influences. Exactly. These these people became great because they were masters of their craft and they mastered, they they put in hours and toil, Mm -hmm. you know, because then she said something very interesting to me. She said, everybody who's been through trouble, if they could become a good singer, then... Okay, okay, but maybe it might have influenced the kind of music that she sure, could really, course. her voice could yeah. really project. I mean, that. Yes. she did say that obviously, you know, your life experiences do have yes. an influence. And the reason, the way that they influence you is that they enable you to understand the emotion. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then you can project it, yes. you can express it a it's lot It's like an actor, accurately. isn't it? Yes. It's like somebody on the screen who would do that, yeah. basically. To So-called protect. method acting, you yes. know, the Stanislav method. Okay, cool. So, um, uh, yeah, so she marries uh, George Treadwell, who was a trumpeter, and uh, in the late 40s has a bunch of hit singles, including Tenderly, Nature Boy, and the one you just heard earlier, Black Coffee, mm-hmm. back from 1949. And... Then signs up with another record label in the 50s and uh, records Misty in 1954, which goes on to become a big hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 1949, she recorded a song called The Bro- Broken Hearted Melody, which she was rather dismissive of as a corny old number. And then in the late 50s, she tours USA and Europe. Um, and then she divorces Treadwell and enters Clyde Atkins, and then in 63 divorces, Atkins. And <laughs> next, next. <laughs> and then in 63, uh, um, she tours 
um, Europe again and in Copenhagen. She records a live album called Sassy Swings the Tivoli. And we're going to hear a track from that towards the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a landmark recording. Um, and then, um, you know, she's she's um, her recording contracts finish off in the late 60s. And for a while, she has no contract. Remember, one of the things about her uh, was that uh, she was not as commercially successful as some of the others. Um, and particularly, she was very upset with the recording companies because every time she'd come to them with a record, they'd say, ah, but we need hit hits we need hit singles or mm-hmm. you know there are no hits mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. and she said i really don't understand what these guys mean by a hit yeah it's good music for god's sake yeah you know so that was quite that did frustrate her quite a bit but uh, you know her touring and doing the jazz circuits uh, was uh, uh, very uh, uh, she was very prolific with that and so in the early 70s she records a few notable albums with producer bob shad and uh, there was one of them was a bit of a departure into pop music. It was called Time in My Life, where she did covers by Bob Dylan and John Lennon. So, I mean, she's straddled a, diff- a number of different genres. Mm-hmm. And she tours Japan, records a solo album, live album there. And then she records this album called Send in the Clowns. And I'd like you to play the title track from that album, because uh, one thing about this song, she had originally recorded it in a uh, jazz setting with Count Basie and his orchestra in the early 60s. It was six and a half minutes long, unfortunately. We don't have the time to play that. But I thought I'd play this one because it's quite an interesting reinterpretation of Stephen Sondheim's uh, original lyric. And you can see how this lady could straddle genres with such consummate ease. So let's listen to it. That's Sarah Vaughan and Send in the Clowns. Um, Jung, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, you could really hear the different tones of voice, her voice changing and just becoming like it was somebody else, actually. You know, I don't know the correct words to use for this. But yes, I can really see that the song does deliver. Amazing voice dynamics. And um, in a technical sense, this is known as mixed register singing. Mm -hmm. So you could go to from the lowest registers um, to your middle register to the high registers. And the transition is so effortless Mm. that it doesn't even feel um, uh, you cannot even hear them transitioning, you know, and uh, changing the voice quality totally. She was a master at that. Mm. Yeah, you, I was amazed just listening to it. It's only because, you know, you were talking about it, so I was kind of listening in for it. The other thing that we mentioned while we were to, while we were listening to that is that, you know, sending the clowns, she wasn't, she loved the track, but she wasn't very happy with what they did with the cover. And tell me about yes, that. Yes, because that was, they put a picture of a clown on the cover mm-hmm. and uh, she was very upset about it and um, she sued the record company uh, which was called Mainstream and her producer Bob Shad because uh, she said that the cover was not in keeping with her image and the, with, with the sophistication and mm. so on and so forth. She was rather flippant and very inappropriate. Yeah. And she refused to work with that producer ever again. Okay, that's that. Which you can, you you see, the reason why I played that track was, A, to demonstrate, obviously, her vocal abilities, the fact that she was so adaptable as a singer. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, she avoided being uh, classified as a jazz singer. She didn't want to, she avoided that moniker. Although everyone said that she was a jazz singer, she said, well, you know, I don't know if I'm just a jazz singer. I can just pretty much sing anything. I sing anything that I like. 
Mm. I suppose you didn't want to be pigeonholed into just one That's time. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. And mm. you could see with that kind of flexibility she has with the voice and the stuff that she can do with it, it's um, she'd fit in with anything. Mm. And she did try her hand at pop and uh, other genres, as I said, uh, although she did not go full tilt into that, obviously, because, you know, she probably realized that it would not be the appropriate format for, uh, for her to... Um, uh, realize her full creative potential with her voice. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so we come to um, sort of um, uh, mid-70s now, and she now starts a series of concerts with the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra with Michael Tilson Thomas, and these concerts are dedica- dedicated to the repertoire of George Gershwin. Um, and in the mid-80s, in fact, they released an LP which won a Grammy, it was called Gershwin Live, uh, and it was another landmark recording of hers. Um, that, uh, and by by the time we come to the eighties, um, you know, she's doing f- few albums, and as as uh, as I mentioned earlier, she was not um, very happy uh, with the record companies because you know they constantly rejected her. Um, uh, uh, album and even album ideas by saying, "Ah, oh, there are not enough hits on there." And uh, she did a few live albums, um, uh, one in Paris, which she toured in the mid-80s. And uh, in 86, in fact, she toured Brazil. Mm. And they loved her there. Obviously, they'd heard about her, but somehow she fit into the bossa nova. Oh, yes. (laughs) And somehow she fit into the bossa nova groove so well. In fact, she did an album with some of the bossa nova greats, including Antonio Carlos Jobim, um, whom we spoke about when we spoke about Astrid Gilberto. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there was, uh, uh, she had uh, a lot of success there in Brazil. And towards the end of the 80s is when um, health began to decline. She was diagnosed with lung cancer. Oh, no. And what kind of age was she then? Mm, she was, uh, I think, uh, 65. Okay. But she was. Um, she's had a continuous kind of, um, you know, career. It hasn't really stopped for any length of time or anything. No, it hasn't at all. In fact, and not only that, her voice was in firm fetal towards uh, just a little bit before the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and this lung cancer was brought on about by constant smoking. Therein lies a warning. Mm. <laughs> mm. And uh, on April the 3rd, 1990, she passed away mm-hmm. uh, at home um, because she got really t- tired of the chemotherapy, etc. And she said, no, just let me be myself. Oh, but what a legend and what amazing absolutely. music she had. Absolutely. And I just wanted to read out something that a music critic said about her, about her voice. Her voice had wings, luscious and tensile, disciplined and nuanced. It was as thick as cognac, yet soared off the beaten path like an instrumental solo. That her voice was a four-octave muscle of infinite flexibility made that her voice was a four-octave muscle of infinite flexibility made her disarming shtick all the more ironic. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> what a wonderful way to end, really, um, Jiang. Thank you so much. Sure.
This has been uh, really quite enlightening. Now, the track that you have chosen, her last one, is Maria. Tell me a little bit about that before we play that. So that was also written by Stephen Sondheim, and it was from that famous musical, The West, West Side Story. This is composed by Leonard Bernstein. And this is a live version in Tivoli uh, Gardens in Copenhagen from 1963. It's a landmark recording and you will see her voice in full form here showing off every single uniqueness and bit of uniqueness in there. Okay, so here she is, Sarah Vaughan and Maria Anjang. Thank you so much for JJ's Music Box today. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Likewise.